Well, good to see all of you today. I want to add a couple of things to, to these announcements. First of all, I have received some text and phone calls from some, and I appreciate them letting me know who would be traveling this weekend. So let's pray for those of who will be traveling. Some of you may be doing some traveling this week or next week. Let's remember those persons, uh, families in prayer. And then, uh, you know, Brother Todd Horton has been very faithful here and his wife Pam over the years, long time, and he's, he is a, a pretty sick guy. And I especially want to remember him, that you will pray for him. Uh, Pam says she thinks it's his adrenaline glands. He had a problem like this many years ago. And uh, I remember him telling me when he had that, he said, I really thought I was going to die. I thought I was going to leave. So he's very sick. And I want you to pray for Todd. Uh, Pam says, uh, she said in her words, he's going to get there. So just remember him before the Lord. And then last week I mentioned a young fellow named uh, Noah McNick. He's only 11 years old and he has leukemia. And I think we have a we're praying for you card out there for Noah. If we don't, I'd like for somebody to start one. Uh, then Dwayne Jenkins in North Carolina is 60 years old. He has pancreatic cancer. I've known his family. I've never met him personally, but I've known his family who used to worship here before they moved to Florida, and then some of them moved back to North Carolina. Very, very sick man. He has a wife and a couple of kids, and uh, he's lost a lot of weight. That is a very deadly type of cancer, but let's pray for him. He is a believer, so that gives us some hope. Let's remember him before the Lord. Then, our faithful drummer. Did you notice we didn't have a drummer over here today? John Crutcher has been worshiping with us since he's been about 10 or 12 years old. And, he, and when he's not here, you can be, there's one of two things. Either he's sick or he had to go somewhere to travel. And that's not very often. So he called me last night and he said, I've got some symptoms. One of my coworkers have COVID, so I'm going to stay home in case I might have it. I don't want to spread it around. So let's pray for John, okay? We've come into this house and gathered in his name to worship him. Let's sing that, okay? You want to stand together with us? We have come into this house and gathered in his name to worship him. into this house and gathered in his name to worship him. We have come into this house and gathered in his name to worship Christ the Lord. Worship Concentrate on Him and worship Him. So forget about yourself and concentrate on Him and worship Him. So 
forget about yourself and concentrate on Him and worship Christ the Lord. Worship Him, Christ the Lord. Let us lift up holy faith and magnify His name and worship Him. Let us lift up holy faith and magnify His name and worship Him. Let us lift up holy faith and magnify His name and worship Christ the Lord. Worship Him, Christ. I stand complete in Him and worship Him. Yes, He is all my righteousness. I stand complete in Him and worship Him. He is all my righteousness. I stand complete in Him and worship Christ the again. Oh, worship Him, Christ the Lord. Our Father, we call upon you in the matchless name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We've gathered here today to worship Him. We're thankful for all the blessings that you've blessed us with this past year. We're thankful for the many times that you've made us well when we were ill, when we were sick, for the many times you've delivered us from accidents, from you've delivered us from bad decisions, and for the times when you've forgiven us for all the bad decisions we've made. We thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy. You are a God of grace. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? And Father, we pray that you'll bless us this morning as we've come into this house gathered in your name to worship Christ the Lord. We pray in his name and for his sake. Amen. All right, you may be seated. We talked about doing an old hymn today. It might seem out of pocket, but let's, uh, let's try that. I think it's, what is it? Marvelous grace of our loving Lord. Let's sing that. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilled. Marvelous grace. Yes. 
and cleanse within marvelous grace infinite grace grace that is greater than all our sin sin and despair like the sea waves cold threaten the soul with infinite loss grace that is greater yes grace untold pours to the refuge the mighty cross marvelous grace infinite grace grace that will pardon and cleanse within marvelous grace infinite grace grace that is greater than all our sin everybody needs to let's let's stand up y'all are dragging me out up here <laughs> come on <laughs> i want to see a smile on your face about the grace of god if this season doesn't make you thankful for the grace and love of god forget the toys forget all the oh i'm getting this i'm getting that and i'm going here and there just just lay back and enjoy the arms of the lord right amen amen sing our last verse dark is a stain that we cannot hide dark is a stain that we cannot hide what can avail to wash it away look there is flowing a crimson tide whiter than snow you may be today marvelous grace infinite grace grace that will pardon and cleanse within marvelous grace infinite grace grace that is greater than all our sin I'm going to ask you to open your bibles to the book of genesis chapter 3 to ask the Lord to help us this morning as we look into his holy word. We're going to look really at three passages, but we'll begin with Genesis 3. Let's sing to the Lord and ask him to help us this morning as we study his word. On earth I stretch my hand to thee no
are going to be some of you traveling this week and doing various and sundry things. This is a very, very busy season of the year, and unfortunately, it is a very dangerous season of the year. So if you're going to be doing that, please be careful. Let me say for the sake of those of you who are wondering, I am going to teach something next Sunday morning. If you're here, then I'm going to be here teaching. If it doesn't matter to me whether it's two people or a thousand, I'm going to be faithful to God's Word, and I'm certainly not going to let uh, anything else take the precedent over worshiping the Lord. So I'll be here. Uh, God willing, there will not be, I understand, there won't be any adult classes uh, for uh, Sunday school or Bible study that we have here at 1045, but we will have a lesson at 11 o'clock for those of you who can come and who will come. I'm going to talk to you today on the birth of Christ and the problem of sin Certainly at this time of the year, we're not prone to think of the sin of man because the holidays are associated with joy and with thanksgiving and with goodwill, etc. But the fact of the matter is the entire reason behind the birth of Christ is what? It is the problem of sin. He wouldn't have had to have come if it hadn't been for sin. That's the whole problem here. So I'm going to talk to you this morning about the birth of Christ and the problem of sin. And we'll begin with Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. The Lord said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon your belly shall you go, and dust shall you eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, that is, her seed shall bruise your head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word, And let God's people say, praise the Lord, and you may be seated. The one that we call the tempter introduced the first man and the first woman, Adam and Eve, to sin. And of course, in doing so, he ruined them, and he ruined all the earth with them. When the Lord began to sentence the guilty, he began with the tempter. And you can see, if you take a look at those two verses, number one, the tempter is promised perpetual warfare and resistance, which will ultimately result in his overthrow and his utter destruction. Number two, the tempter is promised that he will be destroyed and ruined by the same creature that he has ruined, namely, a man. And thirdly, the tempter is promised that his grip upon the sons and the daughters of men 
will be broken by the seed of the woman. Satan trampled upon the woman, but her seed will trample upon him. Now, three things are promised here. Three things concerning the seed of the woman. First, the seed of the woman will be born of a woman in the natural way that human beings are born. Now, this hints at what we now call, what we now know as the incarnation. Incarnation means the coming into the flesh of God, that God himself would come into the flesh. But what I want to remind you is, when this was made in Genesis chapter 3, when this was made at the time that Adam and Eve sinned, when this statement was made to the tempter, nobody knew, not the angels of heaven, not Adam and Eve, and not the devil, nobody knew that this seed of the woman would be God in the flesh. Nobody knew that. When I was over in Israel many years ago, I picked up a matchbox that had a photograph of a rabbi on it. Mark Ross and I were talking about this and about another guy that he knows about over there now in 2022 that many Jews are saying he's the Messiah. Well, I had a matchbox. I've got it at my house right now. I got a picture of a rabbi. He's been long dead. And they said he was the Messiah. You see, the Jews thought, and many people thought, and the devil thought, the Messiah is just going to be a regular human being. But the Messiah is going to be God in the flesh. So this first thing here, that the seed of the woman will be born of a woman, that hints, that's a little subtle hint at the incarnation, the coming into the flesh of God. And this birth, this incarnation, this God coming to the flesh or coming to, to man as man is made necessary because of the problem of sin. Number two, the woman's seed will also suffer and die at the hands of the tempter. It said, the Lord said to the tempter, you will bruise his heel. This reveals the power of sin. It will require the death of God in human form. God must become a man, and God must die as a man. Now that hints again at what we call the substitution. All of you boys and girls know when you go in and play basketball, and uh, the coach takes somebody out and puts somebody in, that's a substitute. You go in for so-and-so. You come out for so-and-so. That's a substitute. It's in all sports, baseball, football, soccer, volleyball, all of them. When somebody goes in, that's what we call a substitute. Now, this statement to the devil, you will bruise the seed of the woman's heel, that hints at what we call the substitutionary death of the Messiah. That means he's coming into the world to take somebody's place. 
He's coming into the world to stand for somebody. Now, over in Rome, the Pope is called the what? Anybody know what word is he's called by? He's called by a lot of things, but I have one word in mind here. He's called the, the vicar, V-I-C-A-R. Do you know that that is the basic word for vicarious? Do you know what vicarious means? It means substitute. Do you believe the Pope is a substitute for Christ? Well, I certainly do not. I do not believe anybody is a substitute for Christ. Anybody that pretends to be a substitute for Christ is an antichrist, according to 1 John. You cannot stand in the place of Christ. There's only one true Messiah, one true Christ. So the three things promised to the seed of the woman, number three, is the woman's seed will destroy the serpent and his seed. It shall bruise thy head And that hints at the victory of life, for us eternal life, gained by means of the death of the seed of the woman. So here are the three things again promised to Lucifer in the presence of Adam and Eve by the Lord. The seed of the woman will be born of a woman. Number two, the woman's seed will suffer and die at the hands of the tempter, the devil. And number three, the woman's seed will destroy the serpent and will destroy his seed. Now, to really appreciate the birth of our Lord, we must have some understanding of the three great truths and the three great events connected with them. And they are, number one, the problem of sin, and number two, the great plan of salvation, and number three, the great person of the Savior. Now, you can turn to Psalm 14, if you can find that in the Old Testament, the book of Psalms, and you go to chapter 14, in the book of Psalms, and I'm going to go there too, but I'm also going to go, and you can do this if you can do find two passages at once, to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, Psalm 14. Romans chapter 3 is in the New Testament, and of course Psalm 14 is in the book of Psalms. Now, in Romans chapter 3, just listen to this. I'm going to begin reading in verse 10 of Romans chapter 3. When you're reading the New Testament, and, and the writer says, as it is written, he's referring to the Old Testament. He's referring to something that the prophets wrote in the Old Testament. The New Testament is kind of the Old Testament revealed. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The Old Testament conceals the New Testament. It hides it in shadows and types and figures. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. So here's what it says in Romans 3, beginning in verse 10. It begins with, as it is written. So you know, immediately he's referring to something in the Old Testament. There is none righteous, no, not one. 
There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. He goes on and gives an awful description of man by nature. Their throat is like an open grave. They use their tongues for deceit. The poison of poisonous snakes is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. The way of peace they have not known. And there is no fear of God before their eyes. Now when we get back to Psalm 14 from which those words in Romans 3 were taken, and those words in Romans 3 form a commentary upon what the writer said in Psalm 14. Here's what we begin reading in Psalm 14. The fool, verse 1, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. They're all gone aside. They're all together become filthy. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. So what this addresses is, number one, the great problem of sin. The best passages which succinctly or in a brief way sum up the problem of sin are the two passages we are considering, Romans 3 and Psalm 14. And as I have said, the Romans 3 passage is sort of a commentary on the Psalm 14 passage. So we'll look at Psalm 14. Now, the purpose of these first three verses in Psalm 14 is to show us that sin is exceedingly sinful. You see, the more we understand how terrible a shape we were in, the more we can appreciate the Lord Jesus coming into this world to put away our sin. I've often said you cannot appreciate the good news until you appreciate the bad news. You have to hear the bad news. I mean, you've heard about the man who was wandering through the graveyard at night. He was inebriated. For you boys and girls, that means he'd been drinking too much. And he fell over into a grave, a grave that had been dug out for a service the next day. And he fell into that grave, and when he realized where he was, he tried to get out, and he couldn't get out, and he struggled, and he tried, and he couldn't get out. So finally, exasperated, he just sat down over in the corner, and in a few minutes he heard something, and another man fell in the grave. And he just sat there and let him try to get out for a few minutes, and then he said, I already tried to get out, and you can't, but he got out. <laughs> the second man got out. If he was so frightened by somebody else being in the grave that he got out. Now, a lot of times when we are in a situation, we don't realize that that situation, that bad situation, will make us appreciate all the times we didn't get into that bad situation. 
It was Matthew Henry who heard of a man who was going down a road uh, that was uh, robbed, uh, but his life was spared. And he said, I'm so thankful to the Lord that even though I was robbed, my life was spared. And what do you think of that, Dr. Henry? And Brother Henry said, I'm thankful that I never went down the road to start with. There's always something to be thankful for. When you are sick, you appreciate your health. When you think you're going to die and the Lord revives you, you appreciate your life. And that's the way the Lord does things for us to make us understand and appreciate the gospel. To really understand why Christ came which is on the lips of everybody at this time of the year, it ought to be on our lips all the time, we have to understand why he came, and he came because we're in such bad shape. And if we realize everything that he did to redeem us, it should fill our hearts with greater praise than ever before. The first three verses here show us that sin is exceedingly sinful, Sin is the disease of mankind, and it appears to be, number one, malignant, and number two, epidemic. By malignant, we mean that it is infectious, that it is deadly, that it is destructive, that it is fatal, that it is lethal. And then when we say epidemic, we've been through that, haven't we? We're still going through it with the coronavirus. It's widespread. It's an infectious disease. It spreads from one person to another. So let's look at the malignancy of sin, and we see this in two ways. Number one, sin, the malignancy of sin, is seen in that it puts contempt upon the honor of God. Verse 1, the fool has said in his heart, There is no God. Now, there's something of atheism at the bottom of all sin. We might divide atheism into two categories. There's verbal atheism. There are those who say there's no God. And then there's practical atheism. That's those who live as if there is no God. They might even be religious people, but they live like there's no God. So at the bottom of sin, there is a kind of practical atheism. And we are sometimes tempted to think, surely there never was so much atheism and so much profaneness as there is in this generation, in 2022. However, we see from the words of David here that the former days were no better, even in David's time. There were those who arrived at such a height of impiety as to deny the very being of God back in the days of David. And with this denial, they give the first evident principles of our salvation. And you'll notice now, we're looking, looking at Psalm 14. First, the sinner is described. The sinner is the one who says in his heart, there is no God. What is his character? Well, he's an atheist. You see the word translated God, that's the word Elohim. There is no Elohim. That is, there is no judge. There is no governor of the world. There is no divine providence presiding over the affairs of men. 
You notice now that according to that interpretation I just gave you, the atheist is not a person who can really deny the being of God, but they question the dominion of God. I might translate it this way. No God for me. The the fool has said in his heart, no God for me. I'm going to do what I want to do. I will live like I want to live, and I won't give any uh, responsibility. I won't be responsible to anyone. I won't give an answer to anybody. No Elohim, no God for me. Notice now that he says this in his heart. So his problem is not really in the basis of his... He knows that there has to be a God when he looks at the world, when he looks at the universe, when he sees all of the things that are created, when he considers his own marvelous body. He knows in his heart of hearts that this couldn't just have happened that way. There has to be a designer if there's a design. There has to be a beginning if there is existence. Somebody had to make it. Romans chapter 1 says there's no real atheist in the world. That they have two witnesses, a witness of creation, they have a witness inside. But he's saying here that this is in his imagination. He can't satisfy himself that there's no God at all in any way, but he wishes that there were none. He seems to be pleasing himself with the hope that it is possible that there may be no God. He can't be sure that there is a God, and therefore he wants to imagine, as John Lennon said, that there is none. You ever heard that song? Imagine there's no heaven. Imagine there's no hell. It's not hard to do, he said. It's easy if you try. That's what John Lennon said. He said that there's no God. No God for me. He will not say, this atheist in Psalm 14, he won't say out loud there's no God, but he whispers it in his heart. Because in this way, he's trying to silence his conscience, which often witnesses against him. You can read in Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, about the Gentiles who did not have the law, who have a conscience that either accuses or excuses them about every decision that they make. So this person doesn't say it out loud, but in his heart, he says, I hope there's not a God, no God for me, because his conscience often witnesses against him. And further thinking this way and saying it to himself over and over and over, I know there's no God, there's no God, there's no God, I won't be judged for anything, I'm okay. He's made more bold in his evil way. So this is a sinner, as he's described by the psalmist. He's a fool. He's not wise, and this is the evidence of it. He's wicked and profane, and this is the cause of it. Now, we know that atheistical thoughts are very foolish and very wicked, and this sort of thinking is at the bottom of a great deal of the wickedness that is in this world. When you see people carrying these signs and saying things about this is my body and I don't care, and there's a, there's a law now that somebody has introduced 
that you can kill a human being days after it's born. I hope that doesn't pass into law, but it won't surprise me if it does. When you see people saying, you look at me, what do you see? Well, I see a male. Well, I'm not a male, I'm a female. So I'm supposed to say, okay, I don't even believe my own eyes. I just believe what you say you are. What is that, my friends? That is the turning of reality upside down. That is turning good into evil and evil into good and sweet into bitter and bitter into sweet. That is saying that that which is wrong is right if it's right for me. That's exactly where we are today. So this, the bottom line of human beings is that we are all atheists as we come forth from the room at bottom. The Word of God is a discerner of these thoughts and intents of the heart, and it informs us. You remember Abigail that became a wife of David? You remember what her husband's name was? Her name was Nabal. His name was Nabal. You know what Nabal means? Fool. She said to David, as Nabal is his name, so is he. <laughs> he, had, he had started a ruckus with David's men when they came and said, we've been protecting your flock. We've been protecting your herd. We want you to know we kept the bandits away. We kept everything away. And our master David has asked if you could spare us a little milk and a little cheese and a little something. We don't have anything. And he said, who is David? There are a lot of slaves running away today from their masters. Shall I take my herd and my meat and my cheese and my milk and give it to some guy named David? And when they went back and told David that, he said, everybody get his sword on I could quote the passage in the Old Testament that David said, but it would probably offend some of you because there are words that they used back when King James was translated that we don't use today. So I use a more modern word. David said, God, do so to me and more also if there is alive in Nabal's camp anyone who urinates against the wall by the time the sun sets today. They'll be dead, dead, dead. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wipe them out. And while he was on the way down there, Abigail heard about it, and she got a wagon, and she loaded it all up, and she went out to meet David. And when he came in, she stopped him, and she said, my husband's name is Nabal, and he is living up to his name. Please don't pay any attention to this fool. And she placated him, and she gave him food, and she uttered a prophecy there. Well, that's what's written on the brow of every one of us when we come into this world. Nabal, we're fools by nature. We sin against the clearest light, and even against our own knowledge, and even against our own convictions. One of the old writers said, and I wrote this down, here's what he said, no man will say there is no God, he will not say it, not just in his heart, he won't say it until he's so hardened in sin that it is in his interest that there should be none to call him into an account. When he's hardened enough and he thinks there's not going to be any God that's going to judge me, then he might say it. Okay, let's go further. He says that the sinner 
is corrupt. He is corrupt. They are corrupt. Verse 1. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. That is, they are degenerate. And nothing like he was when he was created from the hand of God. And according to verse 3, verse 3, they are all gone aside. They're all together become filthy. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. They become filthy, putrid. Everything about him is out of order so that he's like a foul odor to his creator. David said in Psalm 38, Mine iniquities are gone over my head. As a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and are corrupt because of my foolishness. David said that. David was convinced that he was a sinner and he must have the grace of God. Isaiah said it this way, Isaiah 64, We are all as an unclean thing. All of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. We do all fade as a leaf. Our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Further on about the sinner now, he does no good. They are corrupt. They have done, uh, done abominable works. There's none that doeth good. We're so corrupt that we are incapable of being what we were created to be. We are unprofitable burdens to God. We do God no service. We bring him no honor, and we are unkind to one another. We do a great deal of evil, he says in verse 1. Abominable works. Sin is an abominable thing, according to Jeremiah 44, whence the Lord hates. So this is the malignancy of sin. Now we consider the epidemic nature of sin. The disease of sin is epidemic. It has infected the entire human race. Who says so? Well, in verses 2 and 3, the Lord himself is pictured as being called as a witness. The Lord looked down from heaven. Verse 2. The Lord is going to be a witness to the epidemic nature, the malignant nature of man, of sin, of man. He looks down from heaven. This speaks of the all-seeing, all-knowing eye of God. And then he inquires, he asks a question. Does anybody understand? Verse 2. Does anybody seek God? Verse 2. What does that mean? Well, he's saying, first of all, does anyone understand himself? What sort of shape he is in before his maker and his judge? Look, I'm thankful Christ came into the world, but I'm happy in this season of the year, not because of Santa Claus and Christmas trees. I'm happy because I've got a Savior. And I can tell you that he was not born on December 25th. I won't go into all of that. He couldn't have been born any later than October. Because the Bible says the shepherds were keeping their sheep in the field by night. And they put all of their sheep in for the winter by the end of October. He was not born December 25th. December 25th was established as a date based on the winter solstice, based on heathen gods by the Roman Catholic Church. Does anybody understand himself? What sort of shape he's in, the, the writer says here, before his maker and before his God? 
No. Well, how can you be so sure? Because he says nobody is seeking the Lord. He asked the question, does anyone understand and seek God? You see, if men understood the danger they're in, if they understood the malignancy and the epidemic nature of their sin, that they're just on the edge of eternity meeting a God who sent his son into this world. If they understood that, they'd be seeking the Lord. Well, people aren't seeking the Lord. No one needs God because no one understands what shape he is in before God. So what's the result of this inquiry? Verse 3, they've all gone aside. They've all become filthy. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. And that become filthy is in the perfect mood. That is, they have become perfectly filthy. Their cup runs over with filth. He says, all, they have all become filthy. It's universal. Their corruption and their filth is universal. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. Any good in any of the children of Adam or any good done by them is not of themselves. It is God's work in them and through them. Now, I want you to hear that. Any good done by the children of Adam is not of them. It is God's work in them and through them. When the Lord made the world, he finished everything, he said what? He said, all is very good. Very good. But just in a few years later, in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5, he said, all is very bad. All is very bad. God saw the wickedness of man, that it was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5. And this generation that we're living in is becoming more and more and more like the generation that existed in the days of Noah. They had all gone aside from the path of righteousness and truth that leads to eternal happiness. And they had turned to the paths of the God of this world, which leads to destruction and eternal judgment. Is it any wonder that they we're so corrupt, corrupt that we have to be born again. We have to be born again. All right, now consider our way and the danger of it. Verses 4 through 7, Psalm 14. We are workers of iniquity. We design it. We practice it. We take pleasure in it, and we take pleasure in others who do it. Romans chapter 1, verse 32 says of the sinner, that we know the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Romans 1.32. We don't like to do, get into trouble by ourselves. We want a whole gang with us. We want folks to go along because that makes us feel better about it. We eat up God's people. Verse 4. Have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge who eat up my people as they eat bread and call not upon the Lord? We eat up God's people with as much enthusiasm as a hungry man eats bread. The unrighteous desire to ruin the righteous is paramount. The unrighteous desire uh, of the sinner 
is to hate the people that do good. To the wicked, unrighteousness and wickedness is food and drink. They live on it. They crave it. They glory in it. And he says in verse 4, they do not call upon the Lord. Last phrase of verse 4. Those who do not care for the companionship of God's people do not care for God himself. Calling upon the Lord, at least part of that would be prayer, wouldn't it? Praying, calling upon the name of the Lord. Then he says in verse 6, they shame the counsel of the poor and they rebuke them for making God their refuge. I heard a man say the other day, he said, I love to go and lecture to college campuses. Because he said, I had a guy say one time to me at a college campus, are you one of those folks that believe God made the world in a week? He said, I said, no, man, he made it in six days. He took it off on the seventh. That's the God we serve. The God, he didn't have to take six days, whether that's six eons, whatever it means, it doesn't matter. He spoke it into existence. And these sinners don't want anybody taking refuge in God. Did you see that? Verse 6, you have shamed the counsel of the poor because the Lord is his refuge. Okay? Now, they shame the counsel of the poor. They rebuke them for making God their refuge. And that, my friends, is a great sign of great wickedness when those who don't want anything to do with the Lord go to the trouble of doing all they can to persuade others not to have anything to do with the Lord. Not, persuade others not to seek the Lord, not to serve the Lord. And this is the generation that we're living in now. Anybody who believes the Bible today among young people from junior high on up is looked upon as a fool. What is the cause of this foolishness? Look at verse 4. Have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge? There it is. The cause of it is they have no knowledge. They have no spiritual knowledge. They don't know things as they really are. They don't, don't know themselves as they really are. And they don't know God as he, he really is. Did you know it was John Calvin who said in his Institutes of Biblical Theology that to know oneself, one must know God. And then to know God is to know oneself. He said, you can't know God without knowing yourself. In the light of his glory, you begin to see something about how dark your world is, how dark your heart is. So this is the great problem of sin. So I'm going to conclude this morning with considering the great comfort of God's people in the light of this great problem. First of all, the Lord is with them. I'll just touch on this. The Lord is with them. They have God's presence. Verse 5. There were they in great fear, for God is in the generation of the righteous. So the Lord, they have God's presence. Verse 5. Verse 6. They have the Lord's protection. God is their refuge. Oh, that the salvation of Israel will come out of Zion when the Lord brings back the captivity of his people. Jacob shall rejoice, and all Israel shall be glad. God's people have God's presence. He is with them. 
They have God's protection. He is their refuge. He's their salvation. And when he comes again from the heavenly Zion, we will be delivered. And then all ungodliness will be no more. And we will be perfected. So we have a problem. The problem is sin. And we have become fools because of it. But the, the Lord has a great solution. God himself will rescue us. He will become a man. And this will result in a great victory, which will bring great deliverance and will bring great glory to our Savior. May the Lord add his blessings to his word. And I hope you can rejoice a little more in the incarnation, in the birth, in the coming of our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's stand together. <clears throat> there are a lot of questions that many people have about uh, the Bible. I saw a program the other day in which there were lots of uh, questions. You know, Paul warns us about not getting into things that have just caused debate and, and there are people that are sitting by that are weak. It will hurt them. And so we need to be careful about that. But there was a student who asked his teacher, what does it mean, how can I not be worldly? I put it that way. How can a believer be dead to the world when he lives in the world, works in the world, raises a family in the world, and owns property in the world? And his wise teacher said, will you do what I ask you to do? And he said, I will. He said, I want you to go to the graveyard of a friend. He named the friend. I want you to go out to his grave. I want you to praise him. And then I want you to criticize him and harass him and find fault with him. I want you to praise him to excess. And then I want you to criticize him to excess. And then I want you to call me. So the next day, the fellow called him, and the, the teacher sat down with him, and he said, did you do what I asked you to do? Yes. Did you go to the graveyard and praise your friend? Yes. Did you, did you criticize him? Dead. He said, what did he say? Well, he said, he said nothing. He's dead. The teacher said, that's what it means to be dead to the world. Applause means nothing to a child of God. And hatred means nothing. We neither admire the people of the world, nor do we fear them. The riches of this world are but the fancy of fools, he said. And the honors of this world mean nothing to us. To be a child of God is the highest calling. When Christ is all and in all to us, then the traditions and the ceremonies have no real attraction or meaning to us if Christ is all. What was once important, we consider lost for Christ. That's what Paul said. I consider all things but dung that I might win Christ and be found in him. 
And what this means, my dear friends, is the spiritual life cannot be explained. It has to be experienced. And the only way you can experience it is you surrender to this Christ of the Bible that came into the world to save his people from their sins. Are you one of his kids? If you are, then you're going to call on him. You're going to seek him. And it doesn't matter if the world criticizes you or if the world praises you. It doesn't mean a thing. Because we're dead in Christ to the world. And we're alive under God through faith in our Messiah. Our Father, we call upon you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that you sent your Son into the world. We don't know exactly when he came, but we know that he did come. And we know that the shepherds bore witness. We know that the angels of God sang glory to God in the highest. And we know that you dwelt among your apostles, and you sent them forth to tell the good news that there is salvation through faith in the Messiah, the one promised in Genesis 3, 14 and 15, the seed of the woman who came to bruise the serpent's head and to set the children of God free. And Lord, we thank you and we praise you for our great salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we praise you and in his name we adore you and in his name we thank you. Amen. Let's sing under the blood and I'll let you go. Under the blood of Jesus, safe in the shepherd's fold. Under the blood of Jesus, safe while the ages roll. Safe though the world make run. stars grow dim under the blood of Jesus I am secure in him may the Lord bless you and keep you may the Lord make his face to shine upon you and may the Lord bless you in all that you do this week I pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ for his sake amen you're dismissed